This is Bulls Beat on USF Bulls Unlimited. Each weekday morning, Bulls Beat is your stop for exclusive interviews, highlights, and the very latest on all sports at the University of South Florida. With today's show, here's your host, Derek Sharp. And on this Wednesday show, we'll tell you about a future opponent for the football team that has been set since we did not do a show on Tuesday and that news came down. We'll give you more details. Also, the likelihood of that 2026 now opener being in on-campus stadium. Some updates when it comes to that. We've also got a fun list of high watermarks from the last year at USF to tell you about the Stampede of Champions was last night at the school. It's the reason why the baseball game, by the way, was moved up because they wanted to get all the baseball players and everybody really together for a student-voted-upon awards show that Frankly, I wish I could have seen, but this is again for the students, but we saw some cool videos and I happen to have the actual list of winners as far as plays of the year, teams of the year, that kind of thing. We'll run down all of those winners, so kind of some exclusive information for you here on the program. The baseball game was yesterday afternoon and the Bulls were defeated in run rule fashion, although just like the UCF game, it could have gone a different way. In fact, one play that will prove my point, we'll have that for you in our second segment. We will be watching intently this afternoon when it comes to women's golf, hoping they get into the NCAA tournament. We'll give you the whole outlook for that coming up here shortly. We'll end the hour with Around the American. It was a busy Tuesday night in baseball especially, and we'll sort of set up the standings coming into weekend five of baseball action. We are halfway through that schedule. However, only two weeks left in the softball regular season before the conference tournament comes to Tampa in, well, just more than two weeks from now. So it's getting down to it in a lot of the sports track and field as well is coming down to the end of the season. The beginning of the 2026 football season will have the Bulls taking on FIU. A future home-and-home series was announced on Monday. The Bulls and Panthers have met twice in their history. It's been a while, 2006 and 2008. The first game is anticipated to be the first game in the on-campus stadium on USF as it's September 5th, 2026. That is the home opener. The return date will be on September 22nd of 2029. If you go to GoUSFBulls.com, you can see the entire filled up future schedules. In fact, there's just one opening there in 2029. Hmm, I wonder if there's another in-state team. It's really something if you look at it. It can't get over the fact that the Bulls are playing Alabama in three seasons out of four, with the home game, of course, being next season. We'll start off at Western Kentucky, then FAMU and Alabama, and then they go to Tuscaloosa in 2024 and 2026. And it's amazing. Some of these schedules you just look at and can't help but be impressed. Next season, not this coming, but the following, has the Bulls at Bama and hosting Miami. Then 2025, opening with Boise before going back-to-back to Florida and Miami. 2029, for that matter, opens with NC State and Notre Dame coming to Tampa. It's going to be quite the slate of games at Raymond James Slash, the on-campus stadium. Speaking of that, a really extensive update provided by Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times, essentially on a bit of news that was more... It was going to happen anyway, but he gets into some serious details. A $14.8 million design-build agreement between the Bulls and the construction company Barton Marlowe as they obtain the entire contract. And it's an in-depth article. I would point you to tampabay.com. It basically solidifies a lot of what you already knew. 
The 35,000-seat stadium will have five levels, field, the main concourse, the club level, and the suite level, so they're separately, and then most important, the press level. With premium areas and experiences unique to USF, the stadium will also include an athletic training and performance center for both football and the women's lacrosse team. Gets into how and when things might get done as far as the actual cost and the design of the stadium, and the pre-construction will take a good year. The actual construction will take 20 to 24 months and expect to be ready for playing football in 2026. FIU started its football program five years after the Bulls did. They have 74 wins now in their 21 seasons, just 1-11 two years ago. And last year, lost 73 nothing to Western Kentucky. But a year after they went 0-8 in the conference, they grabbed a couple of victories and ended up going 4-8. Who knows how they'll be in 2026, but we know they will be the Bulls' opponent. This is pretty cool. Again, we didn't do a show on Tuesday, but on Monday it was announced announced. It was an article that was put out by the folks at CBSSports.com. Dennis Dodd, their college football writer, had the top 15 coaches under age 40, and our own 38-year-old Alex Golish was among them. They weren't all head coaches. You know some of the names. Lincoln Riley, also the new head coach at Mississippi State. Of course, the unenviable task of having to replace Mike Leach goes to Zach Arnett. He's in there. He's 36. But as far as Golish goes, it's interesting because he reminds everybody that you know, UCF, where he was Josh Heupel's offensive coordinator, was the number one offense in the country in 2020, and he Heupel brought him on to Tennessee, and last year they led the nation in yards per play and scoring. One thing that it never really occurred to me, but is pointed out by Dodd in the article, Golish becomes one of a handful of FBS coaches never to play college football. doesn't feel like that when you are around him, but certainly good stuff, and if you want to read up the whole article, actually go to GoUSFBulls.com and the story about it includes a link right to the full post. The Stampede of Champions was last night. It's something that is an event that is at the Yingling Center and is made for the student athletes. It's an award show. No, I didn't attend, but I'm sure some videos will come out already. The photos were great. Everybody really gets a chance to get decked out and, of course, celebrate each other with honoring the top performances, the top student athletes, and that kind of thing. And some exclusive information for you is we have the full list of winners. I see on the Tulsa website, TulsaHurricane.com, they actually have a full story, and they give you all the winners, and it was kind of neat. I didn't know that, for example, their men's soccer leader, Alex Meinhardt, who's a tremendous player, was actually supposed to start playing in 2018, had two ACLs, and then another knee surgery, and he finally started playing in the spring of 21. Some of the behind-the-scenes stuff you learn is amazing. That was their Golden Canes Award. Just so happens that last night, Wichita did its Gold Carpet Awards. And last night, all right, I'll give UCF credit for a clever name, the Swords Awards. At USF, it was the Stampede of Champions. And we can tell you the winners. In fact, I was part of the, not selection process per se, but sort of providing some background in a meeting with a lot of the folks that were setting up the lists for then the students to take over and vote upon. So all these winners eventually were picked by all the student-athletes at USF. Track and field really racked up. The interesting one was going to be best performance, and that was tough because sometimes it was a specific play, like the Jackson Mayo catch against UCF. Around. That ball is stroked to right field. Looks like it could be out of here. Going back on it, and oh, my goodness! Mayo goes over the wall! Did he catch it? Is he okay? Folks, this is unbelievable. The... 
UCF fans are applauding. That shows you how impressive that was. The Keyshawn Bryant dunk fest, yes, at UCF. Here's Keyshawn Bryant down the far sideline. Keyshawn drives it all the way. Goes to the basket. Oh, my goodness gracious. He just tore the rim down. Keyshawn Bryant just dunked on the entire Magic Kingdom. That was filthy. Filthy. Almost should be outlawed. Here's Keyshawn Bryant. Goes to the basket. He just dunked over the rest of Epcot. Animal Kingdom. The Princess. Aladdin. They all got it. Holy smokes. What my goodness. Keyshawn Bryant with his fourth dunk, and that may have been the hardest, most resounding we've seen tonight. Of course, a couple of soccer goals, and I love that both of these made the top 10 because essentially you had hearts of the team in both case getting rewarded with big-time strikes. Now Han, speaking of a play, curls it in! Kiri with a beautiful shot, and the second goal has the Bulls in great shape. How do you beat an all-world performing goalkeeper? Just put it in a spot that she can't get to it. An outstanding shot, just magnificent. Right to a Memphis Tiger, now Privatera shot deflected. Could have gone to Rosano, but instead cleared away. That's Checho with a blast and a goal! Are you kidding me? It's two to nothing. Golazos only tonight for the Bulls. The senior gathered the ball 35 yards from goal, took one dribble, and from beyond 25, ripped it. His first career goal. I think he's going to remember that one. And in that case, it truly was what it meant, as you just heard, the first career goal for Sergio Pinares Mayorga. And that's why in that same game, it was probably the second best goal, but it was the number four play of the year. Byron Brown's performance, and when I say play, performance in this case, sometimes is a full game, sometimes is a play. Byron Brown, what he did in his first career start at Tulsa, was number five, just ahead of Keyshawn Bryant. Pinero is four. Dulce Fank and Mengiata going for 34-17 and 17 against third-ranked Ohio State. More women's basketball in a second, by the way, was the number three performance. Sierra Berry ending the USF women's tennis quarterfinal shocking upset at last year's AAC conference tournament was the number two performance and again the time frame on some of these actually started middle of last spring that's why there's some stuff that happened last year on the stampede of champions list but the number one performance was actually very recent it was Romaine Beckford winning the NCAA indoor championship in the high jump of course we don't have play-by-play call of that but Romaine Beckford one of many members of men's and women's track and field that was honored. In fact, on the men's side, Beckford got the best individual performance, which makes sense. Joan Jeremiah was the Bulls' male scholar athlete. He is from track and field. Beckford, the male athlete of the year, of course he was going to rack up. Women's track and field, Hannah Connell got the individual community award. Arden LaRose, who also plays soccer, was voted most improved. And that was just track and field alone. Naturally, women's basketball had plenty of awards as well. Tried team of the year, of course. They made it to the second round of the NCAA tournament. Coaching staff of the year, where we told you the male athlete was Romaine Beckford. Female honors went to Elena Chinecki, almost like the AAC Women's Basketball Player of the Year. Split those with Dulce Fankamengiati, but as you just heard, she got the vote for best performance. The best team performance was a memorable one from women's basketball. A big-time win. Here are some of the highlights pulling it off late at Texas. Puts up a floater and in. Shaylee Gonzalez 
was the all West Coast Conference Player of the Year last year and hasn't taken over at Texas yet, but she's starting to show up now. Texas back on top, 61-60 with four and a half minutes to go. Wilson looking for the play call, she can't hear it. Rito looks for a screen, more good defense on her. Rito needs help with five on the shot clock. To Dulce, wants to drive in, that's a big shot, fail, and one! What a move by Dulce Fankamengiadu! Four minutes left, now 10 on the shot clock, 110 on the game. Looks to drive, lane opens up and in! Elena Chinecki, hesitation dribble, and the Bulls have a three-point lead. 66-63, or do they try and get a quick two? 16 seconds, far from the basket, they're setting him a play, there's Morris off the screen. Ball's thrown away! Chinecki has a 10 seconds to go and she's fouled! What a huge win for the USF Bulls! Coming into the heart of Texas and taking down the Longhorns. Brings back memories of that incredible finish and the Bulls were up double figures in that game and four times Texas took the lead in the fourth quarter and every time the Bulls answered. So yeah, that was the best team performance of the year. Sammy Puises, who was helping establish the lead, that was the famous situation where the, even the Texas fans and the bench were all pointing like, please guard her own. Another miss as Moore got too far underneath the basket. Texas fans want a foul, I guess, on the rim. Open three, what do you want there? Three for three, 42-31. They wanted a foul called against the rim for blocking your shot, and Precis knocks it down her fourth made three, and it's 42-31. She was the nation's leader in three points made until basically the Bulls were eliminated, and then somebody named Caitlin Clark took over that. So she was the female newcomer of the year. Someone familiar with making the three-point shots? Let's pick a random one. How about this one for Tyler Harris, was the male newcomer of the year. Layup is good with four seconds to go. and Gets it to Tyler Harris. Into the front court he comes. From the logo, he launches as good if it goes. Good! 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 Tyler Harris knocks down the triple. Wins the game if it's good, but we'll have, we're, we're to the replay. You got a delayed broadcast next to you. Yes, sir. Yeah, it's, he it's got good. it off. It's he good. got it off. That's going to be good. That's going to be good. Well, listening to some of these highlights gave me a little of an idea. We will, on Wednesday afternoon and evening, replay plenty of the games involving these moments and these teams. I think the Texas game is a no-brainer. Probably throw in both UCF games because the first one featured a lot of Tyler Harris and the second one was the dunk fest for Keyshawn Bryant. How about that? Ariel Wilson, by the way, the point guard for women's basketball, Bulls female scholar athlete. We mentioned Mr. Jeremiah from track and field getting the men's award. Buck Strong, as she is continuing to take on cancer, Alexis Buckman is the unsung hero from softball. For all she does, Michaela Washington gets the Leroy Selman Award. She is from the volleyball squad. And I don't want to miss anybody. Oh, yeah, baseball gets the Team Community Award for a lot of the fundraising that they do. And, again, we'll give you some highlights from last night in baseball here in our second segment. But, yes, women's golf today, hoping for some good news. We anticipate it. But we won't know until this afternoon. Specifically starting at 1 o'clock, the Golf Channel, also NCAA.com. I'm going to have to reschedule my haircut that I have at 1.15, by the way. Anyway, uh, we'll tell you about it on tomorrow's show or probably before that this afternoon if the women's golf team makes it into the NCAA tournament. That is the time of the selection show if you want to follow along yourself. There are six regional sites with 12 teams in each, and there will also be a handful of individuals placed at each regional those would be from teams that don't make the NCAA tournament. Automatic entries into the individual portion of things are those that win their conference tournaments without their team. 
making it to the NCAA. So Melanie Green would be a candidate as an individual, but no doubt about it, you want the Bulls team name to come up. And if it does, it'll be the first time in more than 10 years. There are six regional hosts, so if the Palm Beach Gardens Regional comes and goes without the Bulls name getting announced, you might get a little nervous, although UCF is almost certainly going to be in that regional, and they might not want to put UCF and USF, or maybe they do, maybe they don't even think about it. You have 72 teams in the field and only six regionals, so obviously you're going to have plenty of locations with more than one team from the same conference. But yes, there is one in Palm Beach Gardens. Another possibility is Athens, Georgia, perhaps Raleigh, North Carolina, with the other three regional hosts being in Pullman, Washington. That's Washington State, obviously, San Antonio, Texas, and Westfield, Indiana. What has us so optimistic? I double-checked. The computer rankings are updated this morning, and the Bulls are still in the 55th spot. They entered the weekend 57. UNLV faltered in the Mountain West Conference, dropped beneath the Bulls. Minnesota was the team one spot behind the Bulls, did not do enough to jump them. In fact, the Bulls moved up. So if I was informed that going into last weekend, number 57 was the last team in, and the Bulls are 55, you hope it plays out thusly. We don't want to jinx it with the format of the NCAA Tournament. We hope to be bringing you full coverage of the Bulls making it on tomorrow's show. Coming up next, some highlights and a recap. For those of you who might not have caught the baseball game on Tuesday afternoon, the Bulls jumped ahead of the nation's leader in home runs early and kept them in the ballpark until a fateful error turned things around and ended up becoming a run rule. How can a 14-3 final score be a little misleading? We'll explain and give you a the hopeful outlook for what's to come this weekend. When we continue on Bulls Beat. This is Bulls Beat on the Unlimited Unloaded page. We are on the air with baseball on Tuesday afternoon, actually about an hour and five minutes after we were supposed to be the game started due to a weather delay. There was nary a lightning strike within viewing anyway, and there was nary any thunder or rain, but there was lightning in the eight-mile radius, and so it delayed things. The wind throughout that and throughout the course of the game was blowing out to right, which stacked up not entirely in the Bulls' favor against the team that leads the country in home runs. That's right, FGCU with 95 entering Tuesday and a 29-11 and record tied for first in their conference. The only time they did not win a series was when they gave up in the middle game in Eastern Kentucky a 7-4 ninth inning lead. Everything else was a series victory with two sweeps. So they're hard to beat, they're hard to keep in the yard, and the Bulls did that despite losing 5-3 to three over a month ago in Fort Myers. And their leadoff hitter is really tough to keep off base. Brian Ellis recently set the record, which was 101, for consecutive games getting on base. He is now at 110. The first time the Bulls played FGCU, he went 0-4 with the walk, but that walk was in the first at bat. So we had that whole streak thing out of the way. And sure enough, working a full count on Tuesday, trying to get that on-base thing out of the way. But an amazing catch... Set up a great first inning for the Bulls. Bulls do have him shifted, and he golfs that ball high in the air to left field. It's going to be a long run for Drew Brutcher because of the shift, and whoa, did he catch that? Unbelievable! Amazing catch! Face first. That ball would have landed in fair ground, and Brutcher had to full sprint to get there. So far, it is an official slump for Brian Ellis. I'm just kidding, obviously, but wow. Oh, man, Daniel Cantu rocks it off of him. If that one is fair, forget about it. Oh, man, over the trees. I hope there were no birdies up there. Daniel Cantu tees off. 
and the early 2-0 lead against Stephen Wilmer, incidentally, who was just getting his second pitching action at FGCU. He threw in the second game of his freshman season at East Carolina. In 2019, that was it for his pitching. He got four at bat, so he transferred to JUCO. And this is his third year with the Eagles, and his first pitching time was last week, where he went three innings of hitless ball and struck out six. So, yeah, they were giving him another chance. He actually, as we're taping this, was credited with the win last night. I'm going to say that shouldn't hold, but maybe I don't know all the rules. Anyway, that was the only hit he gave up in this case, but Nolan Hootie was doing a good job of keeping the Eagles off balance. Now, they would get runs in the second and third and tie the game, but he was able to escape further damage. And he finished off a basically four-inning, considering all the circumstances, mini-masterpiece, including getting Ellis again. And incidentally, if you're a longtime Tampa Bay sports radio guy, hopefully you appreciate the Chris Thomas word that I throw in here at the beginning of this long clip. Oh, they they say he went around, and Ellis, again, is a little bit bum-fuzzled. He... Thought the pitch was low and outside, which it was, and couldn't hold up. 0-2. A.B. far from over with this guy, though. And Swan, a missed strike three. A rare 0 for 3 start for Brian Ellis. Of all the dramatic things. Oh, he went around, absolutely. And what a job by Nolan Hootie. I'm sure that's the end of his day, but what an end it is. Striking out the side. And keeping this game tied, nine strikeouts for Nolan Hootie. It didn't take long for FGCU to hit a home run in the fifth inning with the freshman Chandler Dorsey, who actually pitched pretty well, but had to get pulled. And then you'll hear what happened when Austin Grouse comes in. If there ever was a costly error, this was it. And it explains why I can say a 14-3 final score was a little misleading because this should have been a one-run game going to the bottom of the fifth. Two, two is the... Score, and there it is. Felix crushes it to straightaway center. Bobby Bozer going back near the track, and it's out of here. Edric Felix gets a hold of a fastball and destroys it. And that is their now nation's leading 96th home run. That's a pitch, grounded hard to second base, and he bobbles it, and that's going to be a run for the Eagles. That's an error by Montez. Good swing by Muma, but this inning should be over, and it's 4-2. to two. And he hits that ball through the right side of the infield on a line. And the Bulls indeed get hurt by the two-out air. Two runs come in. The streak continues for Ellis. And the scoring continues for the Eagles. It's 6-2. The Eagles bench making a lot of noise, especially this inning. 1-2 and to Povey. And that ball is golfed deep to right field. You want to hear some noise? You're about to. Bang. Povey and... The costliest error you can think of in quite some time, committed by the Bulls, has opened up the floodgates. It is nine to two. Six of the seven runs on and after a two-out error. I had a good exchange with a fan after the game on Twitter. If you don't follow me, it's at Derek Sharp. My name, just spell Derek properly, like everybody does. D-A-R-E-K-S-H-A-R-P. That this game really didn't matter. Now, FGCU, it could have hurt them. RPI-wise, they actually jumped three spots. But for the Bulls right now, it's all about conference. We'll get into that in a second. And the fan replied back that, yeah, you know what? No, you've got to be competitive. You've got to play to win. Well, you just heard it. They were competing. It's not like they were, eh, this game doesn't mean anything to us. We'll just throw out our worst pitchers. Nolan Hootie was great. 
The Bulls jumped ahead. They had their regular batters in there. It's not like they emptied the bench. And it should have been, as you just heard, one run game going to the bottom of the fifth, and the Bulls have every chance to win. At that point, though, you got to move on to the next game, unless you can make a rally in the fifth or the sixth inning. And the Bulls certainly had a chance to do it. So Drew Brutcher leads off the sixth with a walk, and then Rafael Betancourt a single. Travis Sankovic walks, and you've got the bases loaded with nobody out. So at 9-2, there's a chance. They bring in a ground ball-throwing pitcher, and immediately Joaquin Monkey grounds into what looked like a double play, but the throw from third was not good to second. It plates a run and continues the inning. And then Montez, you heard what he just did, was pinch hit for. And, well, the game went from maybe the Bulls are back in it to Matt Rhodes, the kid from Clearwater. Just three for 18 in his freshman season. Has gotten a chance with four starts this year. Now a chance to get his team closer than nine to three. And that could be two over to second base for one. The first and the turn is a double play. So the eventuality was there. And Haberstock got two ground balls just like he was supposed to. So a potential big inning absolutely flies out the window with that. That was the bottom of the six. Here comes the top of the seventh. And that's where we got into run rule territory. So this game was not lopsided all the way, but yes, here's how it finished. Harrison Povey, of course, they're thinking four spot and get home early. And he golfs that one deep to ride, but I think Cantu will have room to get there. Nope, he won't. It sails out of here. Man, that wind fooled Daniel, fooled me a little bit. But Harrison Povey with his second three-run homer, again, a golf shot, very impressive. And it's 12 to three. That put him over the 100 career RBI mark. He's in his second season. He was a freshman All-America last year with 15 homers and 62 RBIs. So the Eagles end up with those three home runs. They still need one more run. Dylan Vega comes on after Caleb Punsack gave up a single up the middle by their incredible hitter, Edric Felix, who was five for five in his last game to get himself above 400. And that home run, as you heard, his 19th of the year equaled what he did last year at the junior college level. That's pretty good. They had 13 hits on the day, the 13th being Joe Kinker's single off of Dylan Vega, who balked to put runners on second and third. And, of course, the Eagles are just hoping for at least one more run. They got it on a wild pitch and one more on a sack fly by Figueredo. 14-3 the final score. What was interesting was that they, the Eagles, brought in their closer, L.J. McDonough, because they wanted to get back home, and I think that was the appropriate way to go in the bottom of the seventh inning, and sure enough, he had closer stuff. If you were listening, and no, we will not be replaying this game. The final out certainly was ball four, but really no sides complained, and that's what bothered somebody on Twitter. Like, okay, no one complained, and no one should have been at that point, but I just explained to you kind of how the game unfolded, and yeah, if you take a walk there in the grand scheme of things, does it impact what happens this weekend in any way? No. It does not. Stay home to play Cincinnati, and that's where things are important. The Bulls are in fourth place in the conference. Their next two series are against teams in the bottom three. If they win them both, going into the last two weeks of conference season, they will be in control of their destiny as far as a top three finish. Of course, it'll matter what happens with the teams right now in the top three between now and then, Wichita, Houston, and East Carolina, how far they can rise. But I guarantee you, if they win their next two series, they will be in control of their fate for a top three finish. Why do I know that? Because their last two series are against teams in the top three at Wichita and at home against East Carolina. So the whole conference setup coming up to end the hour with Around the American. With that, I'll wrap up Bulls Beat for you on a Wednesday. I'm Derek Sharp.